I always say like your your habits and how your body feels it's constantly giving you great information yeah great information as to if your habits are working for you or if they're not and if you're not feeling your best or if your habits aren't serving you it's great information to try something different and that's often where people get stuck they go okay but what should I be doing differently if this isn't serving me what will Hi guys, this podcast explores the importance of our connection, well-being and mental health. To reason with someone is to motivate them to do or accept topics, ideas and issues through discussion and having conversations. This podcast is for those that want to raise their awareness, change their perspective or just have a good time. My vision is to help people find reason to live, to grow and to understand. I do that through this podcast as well as counselling individuals that want to help themselves. No, no, no. No, he needs to know. I just think he's going to talk and it's going to make a lot of sense. Hold up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. One man. One podcast. Three, two, one. It's time! Welcome back. This season is all powerful and all women. Today we have Sarah King. Sarah King is a health at every size exercise physiologist and health coach who uses scientific fact and her personal journey to empower other women to develop a permanent positive relationship with food and their bodies. Through her one-on-one and her group coaching, she helps women regain their periods, balance their hormones, find food freedom, and have a healthier relationship with exercise or while gaining body confidence. Her primary belief is to unlearn everything about diet culture. It's about nourishing body and mind with scientific facts to build foundations for a life of realness, not just wellness. An absolute light beam of energy and knowledge, Sarah's message is crisp with a side of kick-ass, making everyone fall in love with the power of science by simply listening to their own body. All right, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I am stoked to, I guess, pick apart all the different things that, that you do. But to crack straight into it, why don't we start with who the hell are you and what do you actually do? So my name is Sarah King. Uh, across all things social media, I'm known as Sarah Liz King. So you can find me pretty much everywhere under that. And I am an exercise physiologist and health coach. Um, and I specialize in eating disorder recovery and recovery from um, a hormonal condition called hypothalamic amenorrhea as well. But holistically, what I focus on is helping women have a better relationship with food, with exercise, and with their body as well, so that it can come to a really peaceful place existing with all three instead of those three things consuming their entire life. Mm. Well, that is, well, we can end there. That's the perfect summary of what (laughs) 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 said it a few times, I'm sure. (laughs) But yeah. I guess that sums up nicely and then really gets to give people a feel of what what we're going to explore. Um, what we're yeah. going to talk about all on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. If we can get it all in, until I 
I na named it as a lot, lot there, but um, um, and we can only get to so much of it. But why, why, why this work? How did you get into this sort of thing? Why, why this path? Yeah, I think that's such a fantastic question um, because when I first left university, I was working in corporate health, which I actually loved, um, and then. I just didn't see as much of a growth potential working in that space. And I always, I always wanted to kind of give back to the greater good of something that I had been through personally, which is I do have a lived experience of an eating disorder um, that I recovered from. And during that time when I was really unwell, I wish that I had found someone who could help me overcome the things that I wasn't really fully getting in the rest of my treatment. So Nobody really spoke about what was okay in terms of exercise and how I could overcome this kind of toxic relationship that I had with it so that I could move my body from a place of care and respect versus the, you know, I have to and I should do this workout. Um, and it's the same with food. I've had a relatively better relationship with food by the time I uh, had recovered, but there were like little things that I was hung up on that I just thought were normal because society has such a warped perception of what normal eating is hmm. I wish they were having someone to kind of be like okay keep moving past where you think you are recovered because I kind of got stuck in this half recovery place to what full recovery is now which is kind of where I sit and live my life and I have so much extra headspace to do all the things I'm passionate about I literally wouldn't be sitting here today doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't done the work on myself Mm. gone through that recovery process and then turned my pain into my profession. So I did lots of extra professional development and really specialized in this area so that I could help people change their behaviors, but also change their mindset and rewire their thinking and belief systems around the foods that they eat and how they engage in exercise and how they view their body and their own self-worth. Mm. That's a lot. That's great. I think that's, yeah, it's, it's so cool when you say like, put your, turn your pain into your profession. And, and I think what a world of experience that that brings on top of, you know, the skills and the, I guess the education that you give yourself. And there's a lot of power in that. And yeah, no, I think, yeah, I'm really humbled by that when, when people sort of share that, that side of their, their journey, because a lot of therapists don't, or a lot of coaches and a lot of um, anyone in the allied health profession will go, no, I'm going to leave that out, even if that's the case for me, in order to, you know, keep the boundaries or confidentiality, whatever it may be. Um, but, yeah, I guess there's so much more. you got to be careful with it, obviously, but it's, it's yeah. there's too much to give and gain as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, I mean... They probably tie in together, but I guess the, you know, the, the recovery journey for you and I guess doing this sort of work, um, it's, it's intense. There's a lot of, there's a lot of intensity that would come with that work. And, you know, I've worked with some people with that struggle with, um, disordered eating and yeah, it's, there's a lot of, a lot of emotions that fly around in the room that I'm sure you're really used to and aware of. So where do you, where do you put your strength to keep doing this work and, and how do you how do you manage it all where do I pull my strength to keep doing this work I think a lot of it comes back to looking after myself as a human being and practicing what I preach I mean 
regardless of where you're coming from and what you're going through, because I'm sure the listeners of this podcast have their own journeys that they're kind of working on for themselves. We're all trying to find this happy medium of balance where we have a good, wholesome life, good energy, and we can give back into the areas that we're really passionate about. So for me, pulling my strength and kind of recharging my batteries looks like making time for myself to look after my own physical well-being, moving my body in ways that bring me joy, Mm. um, making time for my friends. And the strength to keep going comes from seeing so many of my clients flourish Mm. and regain that freedom that they so like yearned for at one stage of their life and then through the process came out and transformed, you know, all of these different areas. But the single most important thing that they always say is I have my life back now. Mm. And that can bring such immense strength to kind of go like I make a difference. And when you know you make a difference, there's only one way forward, which is just to keep doing this work. I mean, you would know the same because it's just such a, it is a an area where you are giving to others, but they can just so much as easily give back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And, and it is true. That's, that's how it is. So um, I think that the, there's so much, there's so much that can sort of happen. And in in it, if you don't look after yourself, you won't be able to do this sort of thing. You won't be able to cherish those moments. And I think that the way you, you said it summed it up, sums it up perfectly. You just got to pull your strength from within and then notice what, what goes on around you. I think what I really like about your Instagram is how much fun you have. And it's sort of interesting. It's sort of like, you know, it's for the, um, this is my perspective, but it's it's for the people that you, you like you're saying that they've got to this flourish now and they've gotten their life back. So they're kind of like partying with you and feeling really good. And I guess that, that fun energy that you bring to it, but then it also kind of gives hope to those that are, you know, like trying to get to that place. I don't know. I might've just psychoanalyzed the crap out of it. It might not be that <laughs> way, but, but it seems like you have a lot of fun um, creating your content and, and giving a cool message through having a bit of fun with it. Yeah. I think there is something to be said about bringing lightness to a dark moment in people's lives where it can feel like there's not much hope. Yeah. And I know that mental health is not something that we should make light of at all. But if we can have an energy of lightness while talking about topics that are really serious and people are really struggling with, it makes it more approachable. Mm. It makes it less scary and it removes some of the stigma as well. So that's always my, um, I guess, the guiding force behind like why I create content the way that I do, especially for my new membership site, which is Recovery Club. Um, And then on my own personal page, you know, using analogies, using stories, bringing people in and inviting them on that journey where they can see the other side Mm. just is, yeah, more refreshing than hitting people over the head with hard facts day in, day out. Yeah. I think that's a really nice word is refreshing is it is it is refreshing and i definitely try to do that in in this sort of space but yeah um i I think it really does make a big difference in in the energy of light that it can bring like you said um yeah so i guess getting getting further into the nitty and gritty um 
I guess I'm really curious about how, and, and probably really societal, is how, how can our relationship with food and our relationship with exercise and just that whole health side of things have an impact or link to our mental health and our connection to ourselves and others? Yeah. I think how we take care of our bodies and, you know, food is the most simple form of self-care. The way we nourish ourselves is the most simple form of self-care. And it can really speak uh, volumes as to how we care for ourselves in, in general. So if you are someone that has really good mental health, you've never struggled with anything, hopefully you're someone that nourishes their body and, and moves it in a really, really re- respectful way. But oftentimes the kinds of clients that I'm seeing are the ones for whom have this very strong limiting belief that they are not good enough. Mm-hmm. And the way that plays out for them is this over-evaluation of weight and shape. So we know that strong core body image issue is a very high predictor of disordered eating or eating disorders. And how that often plays out is seeking to become smaller or change our body in any way that will make us more aligned with becoming acceptable in our own eyes or in society's own eyes. And those kind of belief systems that we build about what is acceptable and what is good enough are really shaped by multiple different things. So obviously we have society telling us that this kind of body type for a female or a male or whatever kind of um, culture or background that you're from, that this is the most acceptable way of looking. Then we have our own personal experiences, which could be um, things that our friends tells us, friend tells friends tell us, or things that happened to us at school, whether that was bullying or being praised for looking a certain way. Um, Mm. comments from family and then things that we tell like the stories that we tell ourselves as well so when all of this stuff kind of comes together we get this picture of what is good enough and where we sit on that spectrum and for people who really struggle with self-esteem and body image for them this often looks like okay well I don't feel comfortable in my skin the world tells me that the solution to being happy is to change my body is Mm. to change the way that I eat is to change the way that I exercise and that will lead to a life that is blissful and I'll never have to deal with uncomfortable emotions or situations ever again which is essentially a lot of the messaging of diet culture Mm. yeah you're a better person for the way that you eat or the way that you exercise or for how you look and we know that really isn't true but it often ends up where people end up in these like difficult situations with disordered eating or a strained relationship with exercise or really severe body image issues that could turn into eating disorders or body dysmorphia and things like that. So it does really have such a strong implication on our mental health both ways. When we have a beautiful balance with it, it can just be that representation of us caring for our bodies in a really healthy, balanced way. And it can also mean the flip side as well. It can mean that we are really struggling with our own self-acceptance and that the way that that is played out 
is the way that we control our food and our exercise and how we kind of ignore our body. Mm. And, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to put it in, into the sense for myself and I guess for, you know, for anybody out there that sort of does have this thing where we break it down really simply just in terms of relationship with food. If I go, you know, I just went away camping, for example, and the camp food yeah. is never my food of choice. It's, it's car snacks. It's, you know, not very well, you know, good nutritious uh, meals by the fire. And then I, I came back and noticed that that's was the same sort of thing that I was eating. And it's almost like my routine of food, even as well as exercise completely shift. And I go back to that. And now I'm, you know, I'm just functional sometimes, but I like to think that I'm quite functional and, 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 but I'm also a creature of habit. So I sort of tend to go back into those things and, and it's, and then how my body feels is so I notice, I really do notice. So there's probably a question here, but I guess, yeah, to, 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 to that extent is, you know, even, even, you know, the common, the common person will, will notice that. And yeah. And I guess I want to know more about that. Like what, yeah yeah and I think what you're kind of tapping into is this like um obviously like self-awareness is this first piece that we have when working towards improving our ourselves in any capacity so we have self-awareness when things might not be serving us for instance so Mm -hmm. you had that beautiful example of coming back and noticing that you you know fallen back into a pattern where you didn't feel like you were functioning optimally like the foods that you were eating weren't making you feel your best. I always say like you, your habits and how your body feels, it's constantly giving you great information. Yeah. Great information as to if your habits are working for you or if they're not. And if you're not feeling your best or if your habits aren't serving you, it's great information to try something different. And that's often where people get stuck. They go, okay, but what should I be doing differently? If this isn't serving me, what will? And that's really complex because there's so much noise around the best foods to fuel your body with, the right kinds of exercises to do that will help you reach your goals. And there's even so much noise around like body positivity and self-worth and all of that. It's hard to find out what you need amongst all that noise, which is kind of what I help my clients do. I break down the noise. I really separate the myth from the facts and help them figure out the best habits that will serve them because it's so individual. Um, But like you said, it's that moment of awareness where we can actually go like, okay, like maybe I need to change the foods that I'm eating so that I can start to feel better. And you did the first part of the puzzle, which is listening to your body, which not many people are great at doing. Mm, mm. That's true. That took a long time to figure out. And yeah, I guess helps me break, break cycles, break, break my habits and stuff like that. So I guess that it, it sounds like it's, it's got to be balanced and what works for you and tapping into that sort of thing is, oh, well, I guess I'll ask, is that something that is such a big part of the work that you do and, and how we overcome these sort of things and, and regain feeling okay with whatever we're doing, consuming. Yeah. 
I'm sure this comes up with the clients that you work with as well. There's no one cookie cutter approach that is going to work for every single person. And it's really about helping each individual find out what is going to suit them best. I often find with the clients that I'm working with, there's a huge theme of comparison that runs through several different areas of which it's most common to compare food intake and food choices to other people. And that can be a really difficult habit to break because they're like, oh, well, you know, you're telling me that this is what my body needs and this is what will help me function my best. And actually you're right. I'm feeling so much better. Yeah. But it's so different from what other people do. I, it feels quote unquote wrong or bad or they feel guilty. So it's really working through, okay, like when did you notice that those feelings start to come up, like started to come up for you? You know, why are they happening? Let's really explore where they're coming from. And if it's helpful, if it's unhelpful, what can we do about that comparison story? Mm. Because we are creatures that are, you know, we're constantly reassurance seeking, especially when we go into this moment of changing our behaviours and changing our lifestyles. It can feel really unsettling, you know. If we can't control the, you know, stuff happening in our life, Oftentimes we turn to control around our food and our exercise. And while for some people that's not a bad thing and they can do it in quite a relaxed way, for some people it becomes such a strong form of control Mm. that the control actually starts controlling them. Mm. And that's what we're trying to just gently, gently release. Um, So I don't know if I answered your question there. (laughs) I think I hopefully did. I normally forget what I asked, but I, I, the the information that you, you shared still is it was so it's still useful. It's so helpful, and it made my mind go. You know, I so I got lots of things that pull apart from that even. And I guess the you know the thing that come I come back to whether it's my friends, whether it's my clients, whether it's just uh, you know what I end up saying to a stranger. Down to the bottom line of it, and I guess it'd be cool to hear your thoughts around it. If, if you just focus purely on what, you, what you're eating, how much exercise or what exercise you're getting, and then, you know, regulating somehow your sleep, so many things will just, just fall into place. So yet at the same time, it's one of the hardest things to grasp and regulate and become consistent and predictable do, do, do you agree? Like, is that is that something that you, you come across a lot? I think for me, look, I the kind of clientele that I deal with has had so much of a hyper-focus on those areas that that is the thing that comes most simple to them. They The majority of their brain space is focused around those habits regarding what they eat and how much exercise they do and you know, to the detail that they could recall things that they ate three days ago. Sure. So for that kind of population, it's really about going like, okay, well, how do we add more life back in so that we can balance out how much of your brain space is taken up by food and exercise? Mm. But there is also this other population of people for whom there's complete, you know, exercise avoidance, and a really strong component of emotional eating. Um, 
that can be just as complex to pull apart and to pick apart. And that's kind of this, the, I guess the great thing about sign of work is really figuring out what is going on for the person Mm. that's in Mm. front of you. Mm. Because what we're trying to do is like you said, take both sides and those two sides and help them find this like beautiful, messy middle ground where things feel relatively normal. Mm. That food and exercise take up the right amount of brain space, that they do have those consistent, sustainable habits, Mm. but it's not something so extreme that they couldn't do it for the rest of their life. You want to be able to do those same things today as you do in five years' time. Yeah, right? right. So sustainable, something that's sustainable for you. It sounds like yeah. I, I guess that there is this on one extreme is is there's too much control and then on the other extreme it's when it's out of control and yes. finding that middle and hoping that it stays balanced is, yeah, naturally really, really tricky and hard and different for everyone. So, but that that sort of middle is, is I guess, once we become self-aware, that's sort of what the, the goal is to try, try and find that that middle ground because I guess part of my view is is a diet or a um, I guess an eating plan or or all these different things that can get really complicated or different types of um, you know your your vegans or your cutting calories or whatever it might be. My my view is 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 that if it's not sustainable or something that you can 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 achieve ongoing, then you'll you're forever sort of going. I was that I was in this optimal shape then, because I was doing this stuff. Well, why aren't you that now? Oh, because it wasn't really sustainable. I couldn't keep it up, you know. Yeah, um, yeah I guess. Can you shed some light on on that sort of way that our society yeah. sees things? Our society is built on quick fixes. We love things to be short and snappy. All you have to do when you're bored is take out your phone and flip through social media to give yourself a beautiful dopamine hit, right? Mm. It's just how we're wired now. So when it comes to food and exercise, it's no surprise that we are, you know, tending towards things that are often too good to be true. And if it sounds too good to be true, it normally is. Mm. So crash diets or extreme fitness challenges where we're doing so much high-intensity exercise, whereas previously maybe we didn't even, you know, make it to the gym once a fortnight. It's such a contrast Mm. that we probably can't sustain it beyond those six weeks or eight weeks we've signed up to do this, this challenge. So when it comes to, I guess, sustainability and your habits, sustainability and your habits will also change in accordance with your life stage. And the seasons of your life will be vastly different depending on what's going on for you. So in the season of your life when you were at uni and living at home and, you know, maybe you had a part-time job, You might have sustained a higher amount of exercise. You might have socialized more. It might have been easier to eat better because maybe some of your parents were still still making your meals. So that felt easier. Then you might be in a different season of your life where you're working full time and 
maybe you have a young family and all of these things impact what is sustainable for you then. So we really have to like zoom out and actually go like, okay, like even if we are promoting this message of balance and sustainability, we're also as health professionals aware that this looks different depending on what stage of our lives we're in. And I think really being compassionate to yourself around what is achievable will make that sustainability so much easier. So, you know, when clients come to me and they're like, you know, I want to train like five times a week and I know I need to eat more uh, vegetables or on the flip side, I need to cut down my training and I need to eat more fun soul foods to help me find that balance. Whatever it is, I actually kind of look at what their whole life story shows me and go like, cool, this is where we're going to start. Mm. Might not look like this in five years time, but this is where you need to start and you need to grow to. Mm. So just constantly reevaluating what the season of your life is currently, where you are. And then whenever you're setting a goal in terms of improving your health, your relationship with food, your relationship with exercise, it's actually going, okay, given how much time, energy, effort, space I actually have right now, what's reasonable? Yep. You can have what's reasonable and you can also have a bit of a stretch goal. So something that's just slightly outside of your reach, which is also kind of good to keep going for. Mm-hmm. But day to day, what is what is sustainable within the life and the season that I find myself in right now? And if some more space opens up, what can I reach for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, that breaks it down into such <laughs> bite-sized pieces. Um but it, it, no, no, it does. I think that setting that goal and, and then being really realistic. And I like the way he's talked about, you know, we are different. We, we have different seasons and, and life's going to be one way, you know, for these few years and the next it'll be, it'll be this. And, you know, the more we sort of understand that and set our goals around that, it sounds like what you're saying is, helps us achieve it helps us succeed more and then i imagine sort of squashes them the amount of times where we feel failure and like we we weren't able to achieve which then comes back to that message of well i'm not good enough to do it yeah and i think i think there's actually such an amazing message that we can find when things don't go well when things don't go right i always say to my clients you either win or you learn right if something didn't go well it it teaches you something Mm. okay great what can we do next time Mm. yeah what was going on for you at that stage and that point there's no failure it's just a redirection Mm. i think i say something similar it's like it's just more research you know (laughs) you know yeah exactly yeah no i think that that's super true so we with that, I guess that pointy end of when, you know, someone's been struggling with their relationship with food or exercise or their body appearance, and it does become and create that distortion or disordered sort of style of where it becomes a lot more of an impact on their, their life. Um, I guess that's where you come in and work around that. And do you, I guess my, my big, big focus of mine is in, is in trauma and, does that does that sort of come up in into it? I, I know that's that message of I'm not good enough 
it's an old one um, most of the time. Do you find that that, that sort of that sort of comes into the into the room a lot. Yeah, we're often exploring people's stories, stories of um, trauma or uh, things that they've stored in their mind for a really long time that caused them a lot of pain. Hmm. Yeah, and obviously create systems of coping. There's a reason why they developed disordered eating or an eating disorder or body image issues it served a purpose yeah and usually that purpose is to keep us safe out of harm and our body and our brain has taught us that if we do this coping strategy it keeps us safe from that story of trauma Mm. Mm. um whether that is trauma that happened to us or whether it's like something that's a perceived danger it is constantly coming up yeah. But then there also comes a moment where people are like, well, this coping strategy is no longer serving me. It's actually really interfering with my life. Mm. And it's really getting in the way of the things that I want for myself. And that's when we have to kind of go like, okay, well, let's see if we can figure out some healthier ways of helping you to deal with those stories and that trauma so that you can actually live the full life that you really, really want to. Mm. Can we erase what happened to you in the past? No, we can't, Mm. but we can be aware of what it is and why it's happening and how your brain is taking that information and what it's telling you to do as a consequence. And once we're aware of that, we can actually be like, hey, I have a choice here. Once I'm aware of this, I can relive and repattern what I've always done before and play that out, or I can try this new system of coping these new behaviours, these new ways of thinking, which are effortful. It takes a long time to rewire and change our belief systems and be someone who is self-aware and then move into all of those action-taking stages. But ultimately that is what, you know, you and I are supporting people through Mm. is to get to that stage where they're actually going like, hey, I'm aware that this stuff happened to me. And I know I can't change it, but what I can change is how I react when it comes up for me again and mm. how I take care of myself. Mm. Mm. That's so, I mean, I said refreshing a few times and then it's over you, but I guess, you know, that is really refreshing because to hear that that's the way that you work is, I think, really important for the area of work that you work in, in disordered eating and I guess even just having warning signs that that that's the path that people are going towards because it's it's starting to serve a purpose or the control is something that they're indulging in or enjoying and and that serving is so relevant to their life at the moment i think that there are some misconceptions in the field with with eating disorders around it might not relate to that message or that that story that we've we've told ourselves for so long and it's separate to that or it's comorbid to to a different depression or whatever and i think exploring that and naming that and acknowledging that um it's it's just is incredible so it's really good to hear that that's that's the way that it should be you know and i think that's there's so much more power in in going something's caused this something's there's been pain there that that you've used this way of dealing with things 
to survive or to get by. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And look, eating disorders are incredibly complex and, mm-hmm. you know, the reason why we don't have the A plus B equals C kind of explanation for it is because there are so many causatory factors. But if you are knowledgeable as a therapist in this space, you're aware of all of those different things that play into someone developing this particular style of coping. So an eating disorder or disordered eating. Um, and you're aware of the fact that everyone's treatment to move to a better place will again be very, very different. Mm. And I guess just just on that, and I, and I probably should wrap things up, but just it was really, I guess that that sort of sparked it is, is this recovery club that you created, and and I guess what things are going to be moving forward. In terms of our connection, because I know this is a very isolated experience for a lot of people, and as with as with a lot of our mental health concerns, and you know, our relationship with food, or the way that we exercise, or the way we think about ourselves, a lot of that is done in isolation and in silos. So, why is it so powerful to to have something like a recovery club where people are coming together and connecting to share? Why? why what? What's the purpose? What does that bring us? Yeah. So the whole reason why I started this and why I'm so incredibly passionate about it is when I was speaking to clients one-on-one, they said, I wish I had other people to talk to who were going through the same thing as I am right now. And there is so much power in this like shared vulnerability of the fact that you know that you are actually not alone in what you're experiencing and when we are so caught up in our heads and isolation and those silos, we don't realize that because our brain spirals onto patterns of thinking that tell us that it's just us, that nobody else has ever dealt with this. The truth is a problem shared is a problem halved. And there are millions of people out there that have gone through similar, if not the same experience as you. And they can be a cheerleader or a pillar of support for you in a moment where you really need it. Mm. And sometimes that's all we need. So Recovery Club is an online community, but it's more than that. We're there to empower, we're there to educate, and we're there to provide, you know, really a sisterhood that supports each other in this journey towards full recovery, whatever that means for you. Mm. Yeah, and I guess that that it's so true, and it's it's. I mean, I definitely see. You know, I used to run a lot of groups with with people with addiction, and the opposite of addiction is connection. And you replace the word addiction with whatever you're struggling with. I I, I do think the opposite of it is is to connect with others. So I think it's awesome yeah. to have a space that that brings women together to be able to talk, to be able to share, to be able to be vulnerable, or just be you know and exactly yeah um if that's all that that they have capacity to do or they can do at the time great just come and come join so i'm excited to see what that space ends up looking like yeah i'm sure Thank you, you. i'm <laughs> so excited i'm so excited we launch very soon so i can't wait yeah cool so winding down now i guess sarah what you kind of touched on it a little bit before but 
if there was a go-to or a non-negotiable thing that you do to keep well, um, what, yeah. would, what would it be? What, what's the number one or number two things that you do that maintains that? I mean, uh, I've already touched on them before, but I think the number one thing that helps me maintain good mental health is, like you just said, it's my connections. So mm. spending time with my friends and my family, even though I'm so passionate about my work, um, you know, just catching up with a friend for like a walk and a coffee or breakfast, it just recenters me so much compared to anything else. Um, so that is my non-negotiable. Even if I'm super busy, I will always make time for the people that I love. Mm. Awesome. I I think if more people took took a little bit of that, I think we, we'd have a, a real cool collective society that, that works in that way. But awesome that, that that's your go-to. That'd probably be very up there for me as well. Um, yeah. And this one's always, always a tricky one, I guess. What would a go-to book for you be? Maybe something that, that's been really inspiring for you or something that you, you keep coming back to to refer to your, your clients? What, what, it's probably a few. But. So, yeah, so in terms of um, oh, it's hard for, like, eating disorder recovery because none of the books are, you know, exactly um, inspiring, uplifting stories, but... One of the most practical books that I refer people to are The Eight Keys to Recovery from an Eating Disorder. It's a really helpful book by Carolyn Costin. Um, and then in terms of like my go-to books, um, just in general, in terms of like creating more life time, is to actually encourage people to read fiction. Because with fiction, we let our creative brains take over and it gives us a nice little pause from reality to dive into some other reality that might not even be real. But it is a form of, I guess, healthy escapism that sometimes we need and it can just benefit our brain in so many different ways um I'm a big fan of like American classics in terms of those kinds of novels and one of my favorite authors is Maya Angelou she's not only an amazing author she was an amazing speaker and a very um inspirational woman all around that's not been said before and I think it's super true that that healthy escapism and reading a book that that is fiction is a, such a nice way of having that time for you, but then also centering and and using it ability to do that. So yeah, I think that that is really cool. I'm gonna put that all up on my website. Um, just a read fiction book, <laughs> um, okay. um, but also yeah, the other one, eight keys to recovery, recovering from an eating disorder. Um, yeah. Awesome. What else I'll do is links to to your social media that you said at the start. In the, and what are they? What, what's the best way to get in contact with you, do you think, Sarah? So the best way to reach out to me for coaching, one-to-one support, or my social media is through Instagram. You can find me at Sarah Liz King, which is super easy. Um, pretty much all of my links are stored in my social media, so you can find my podcast from there. There is also a link to Recovery Club from there. So that's probably the best way um, to stay in touch. Cool. Cool. 
And what would be like a, a message of hope for anyone that's struggling with, you know, maybe walking into the disordered eating space or really struggling with their self-worth or someone that's been ongoing and still fighting in their recovery? Yeah. This is going to sound like a really backwards motivation for hope, but if it feels like you're going through hell, keep going. Don't mm. stop halfway. It does get better. But sometimes in order to create the life we want, we have to go through a little bit of pain in the short term to create the beautiful future that we want for ourselves. Mm. But yeah, that would be that would be my biggest, I guess, motivator for people is just don't give up. Yeah. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's authentic and genuine because if anyone told you that a lot of this shit was easy, uh, they'd be lying. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. It's tough. So I think that's a real honest and raw way of, of delivering messages of hope because it's, there's no bullshit in it, you know, it, and it's, it's still helpful. So yeah. it's been an absolute honour having you on here, Sarah, and um, keen to stay in touch and connect with you again. And hopefully this has been really helpful for some others as well. Yeah, it's been so fun chatting to you. Thanks for having me on. Do you want to find out more about how therapy can help you kick some goals? Go check out findreasontherapy.com.au or the Find Reason Therapy Instagram page. 